Welcome to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I'm your host, Certified Religious Transition and Trauma Recovery Coach, Terry Hales. I help people step out of the shadows of religious fear and shame and embrace their authentic selves with love and empathy. If you're ready to throw off the shackles of learned binary thinking and explore a more nuanced approach to life, this is your playground. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I am really excited for us to continue this conversation about parenting teenagers after leaving high demand religion. The very first full episode I ever aired on this podcast was about recovering your identity after high demand religion. It is the biggest struggle that many of us have after living under religious authoritarian control for years, or even for our whole lives, like I did, because there's this infantilization that happens in high control groups where we're told how to dress, how to speak, how to interact with one another, what books we can read, what music we can listen to, and what shows, if any, are appropriate. And it makes sense that after leaving that control, we'd have a bit or a lot of an identity crisis. And during this identity crisis, we may rebel against anything that reminds us of the religion. We might shuffle through several different identities and try on several different groups. We may try new things our old self would never do before. We may shift wildly from one way of being to another. And it was all probably a little bit awkward. You might even still be in that awkward and scary stage, but it's also totally exhilarating, right? You're free to make decisions for yourself, but you have no idea what you're doing and who you're becoming. And damn it, you're the one steering the ship and it feels amazing. Even if you have no idea where you're steering to, you have trust in yourself that you'll figure it out eventually. And this process that I think all of us have experienced, this is called differentiation. You were learning after years of being one of a homogenous group to be an individual. Many of you told me that this process made you feel like a teenager stuck in your adult body. I know I felt like I was a 12-year-old stuck in like a 37-year-old body when I finally left Mormonism. You probably felt unsure, maybe a little insecure as you explored new things like learning how you really like to dress, what kind of hairstyles you enjoy, who you really want to date, what kinds of careers you're interested in, and maybe even small things like what kind of coffee or adult beverage you prefer. And this process is exactly what our teenagers go through. And it's what we're talking about today. They aren't going through this because of their exposure to high demand religion, though If we have teenagers that were in the church for a long time, maybe even through their preteen years, they might have some subconscious beliefs about whether it's okay for them to go through this leftover from religion, right? If it's okay for them to explore their identity and decide for themselves who they are and what they like. But they're going through this primarily because it's developmentally appropriate for them to differentiate at this age. This is their primary job as teenagers. The primary developmental milestone for teenagers is to discover who they are, differentiate themselves from their parents and their family of origin, and figure out what their own value system 
and their own goals and desires are. They're figuring out who they're going to be as adults and how they are going to move in the world. And so today we're going to talk about why differentiation happens at this age and a little bit about how we can support our teens through this bumpy process and help them feel safe exploring and expressing these different facets of their identities. Now, if you have teens especially, or if you have young adults, this still applies for young adults as well, and you want to be a part of the conversation, if you want to throw ideas out there, get support from the community, feel heard and seen and validated, I mean, sometimes it's just really nice to have other people be like, yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm still figuring this out too. You're not alone. You're not crazy. All those things, right? Please join our live discussion call. We have one every single Wednesday on Zoom at 6.30 p.m. Mountain Time. Every single person that is a monthly donor to the podcast is invited to the call. We have some calls where we have two or three people that join and we have really intimate conversations. We have other calls where we have 10 or 12 people that join. We want you to be part of the conversation. If you're worried about people seeing your face or knowing your name, you can keep your identity secret. You can change your name on Zoom. You don't have to have your camera on. You can just add things in the chat if you want. There is a place for every single person on this call. I love having these discussions with you. And my discussions with this live discussion group, they shape where we're going with the podcast. So because of the call last week, we will be having some podcasts about purity culture. We'll be having podcasts about talking to our kids about sex. So if you want this support, please go to emancipateyourmind.org. There's a box there that says support the podcast and give a gift. Click on that box. Click whatever monthly donation feels good to you and then hit submit. Now, I will tell you, I only get a list of new donors on the fifth of every month from the Mormon Discussion Podcast group. So if you want to be added to the list earlier, if you want to be on this week's call, please send me an email. My email is terry at emancipatedcoaching.com. Put in the title, I donated. Let me know that you've made your donation, and I'm going to add you to the email list this week ASAP so that you're part of the group call. You will get an email from me on Wednesday morning with all of the call information, as well as some extra tools and journal prompts and things like that to help you get the most from this podcast episode. So if that sounds interesting, please pause right now, head over there and do that before you forget. If you're like me, if I don't do it immediately, I'll forget. And then we'll see you on the call this Wednesday. Now, when I talk to fellow parents, There seem to be two stages of development that I most hear lamented. I'm going to give you a moment to think about what stages of our children's development do you hear most parents complain about? I know that one of them that first came up for you were the terrible twos and the terrific threes, right? That age between two or three where our kids go from being these sweet little babies and toddlers that love us and want to cling to us to being the kids that say, no, I do it. They're defiant. They go against the rules. You know, they really push our buttons and our boundaries. And the teenage years. Those seem to be the two age groups that I find that parents really struggle 
And I don't think this is a coincidence because these are the two ages in human development that are focused on differentiation. For the two and three-year-old, they're just now learning that they aren't an extension of mom and dad. Literally before the age of two, your kids think that they are a part of you. They think that they are mom and dad. They don't really realize that you're separate beings. They don't realize that you have a life of your own. They don't realize they have a life of their own. You are them and they are you. They're an extension of you and you are an extension of them. And so at about the age of two, their brains have developed in such a way that they begin to realize like, oh, I am a separate being. I am my own unique person. And they realize they don't have to say yes. They can say no. And they do a lot. They exercise the ability to explore being an autonomous human as often as they can. And depending on mom and dad's reaction to their newfound autonomy, they either learn it's safe and acceptable to voice their opinions and make decisions for themselves or that it's dangerous to do so. And the things they discover about their safety to be a separate individual in their toddler years, it affects their behavior throughout their childhood. Now, the good news is, is that something similar happens in the teen years. And many psychologists will call this like a big reset because a lot of times during this teen year time, we actually pare down old parts old synapses and stuff, like old parts of our brain that are no longer serving us. And we start developing our adult mature selves. So if you didn't get this right during the, you know, twos and threes, if you were still in high demand religion, if you thought that your job was to bend your kid to your will, totally understandable. We were all raised that way. And we get another chance with our teenagers. And if you have kids that are past the teen years, don't despair. These are things that once your kid has a mature brain, you can continue to work with them as they reparent themselves and you work to correct that parent-child bond. It is never too late. I know Kevin has had clients where there's been like an 80-year-old mother and a 50-year-old child coming together in therapy, mending their relationship after all of these years. and so. They've been able to get close. They've been able to talk about old hurts. They've been able to be accountable and apologize and begin speaking to one another and working through these things and healing generational trauma. So it is never, ever, ever too late. But I want to talk to people who have teenagers today because if you have a teen, this is an important time to learn how to support their development and help them begin to feel safe and comfortable really exploring who they are, what they value, what they want, what they believe, what they think, what they feel, so that when they reach that adult mature stage, they're very comfortable with this process and are able to guide themselves because that's what we're all after. So in the teen years, our teen's primary developmental focus is on differentiation. Once again, our kids realize that there are more worldviews and lifestyles out there than just the ones they were raised with. And they become more conscious of what they see in the media, in their friends' homes, and at school. And like the toddler that realizes they aren't mom or dad, 
your teen realizes they aren't just constrained to being in the family identity. They have options, a world full of options. And it's like mother nature kicks in physically, emotionally, and cognitively to give them a push to explore all the possibilities while they're still somewhat safe and protected under their parents' roofs. So in high demand Christianity, you were likely taught, like I was, that this was Satan using the enticements of the world to pull our teens away from, you know, God's truth, whatever that was. But really, this is our kids developing enough cognitively to recognize that the world is bigger than they thought when they were children. And like eager explorers, they're curious to know more and experiment with the possibilities. This pushing back, this differentiation, this trying on things that are different than our family of origin is a sign that our kids are maturing, both cognitively and physically and emotionally. They're recognizing that they are individual human beings and that they can be autonomous, that they can be in charge of themselves, that they can trust themselves, that they have an identity. They're becoming self-aware. It is amazing. It is not Satan. It's not worldly forces at play. It's development at play. And it's exactly as it should be. So exploring is going to come in two parts. And the first part I find is usually the place where we really struggle as parents. And it's the separation and opposition part of exploration. As a parent of teens, I know the bittersweet of watching your kids begin to leave the nest. The children that once wanted me to constantly hold them and play with them and teach them and spend time with them. And we're constantly saying, mom, watch this. Mom, listen to this. Mom, they don't do that anymore. They spend more time with their friends now and their homework and their hobbies. And let's be honest with their electronic devices. But separation is part of exploration. I want you to think about your own journey here. Let's take a little moment to be empathic to what our teens are going through. When you left high demand religion, it was almost imperative that you separated yourself in one way or another from the ideals of the high demand religion so that you could discover yourself. Whether you physically left the church so that you could be alone away from the values and beliefs of the group so that you could hear your own self, or whether you somehow created some sort of partition in your brain between you and the ideals of the group. Because I know there are many that are listening who are still physically in and mentally out because they either have a spouse that's still in or kids that are still in. You have your valid reasons for staying in, but you had to create some sort of separation between you and the authority of the church so that you could hear yourself and figure out what was you and what wasn't you. And our teens have to do the same thing. It does not matter how much they love their parents, does not matter how kind their parents were to them, how supportive and loving their parents were to them up to the teen years, your kids are going to need some degree of separation in order to be able to fully figure out who they are. Now, the more they're allowed the separation, the more they're permitted to have their own personal space and personal boundaries and guilt-free time with friends or their hobbies 
or time and space to work through feelings and decide what they want to share. And the more we can, in general, treat them as though they're capable humans full of the ability to innovate and figure things out, our relationships can actually get stronger during this time of separation and self-discovery. But what happens is sometimes we're so used to those kids that needed us, and sometimes our identities and our feelings of self-worth are wrapped up in how much our kids need us, that we can kind of create some power struggles here. We don't want to give them space because it brings up our own attachment wounds. We don't want them to be able to figure out things on their own. Sometimes that happens because we like how it feels to be the person that fixes the problems. We like how it feels being the savior in their lives, the hero in their lives. And so these are all things for us to be aware of. As our kids get older, as they move into this space of exploration, a necessary part is separation, giving them the space for them to spread their wings so that they can figure out that they can fly, they can trust themselves, they can trust their wings to carry them, they can trust themselves to pick themselves up off the ground if they fall, and that will be there to, you know, help them up if that's what they want and there to help dust them off if that's what they want. And if they don't want, we're there when they want to talk about it or when they want to process it. Now, what sometimes happens is when we try to limit the separation, when we say, no, 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 you have to stay close to me. You have to still need me. No, you, you know, I need you. I need you right here. Now, granted, you still want a relationship with your kids, right? And we can have these conversations. We'll talk about this in a minute. But when we're like, no, 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 spend time with the family, not your friends. And we get a little bit more controlling, which I think many of our parents probably did as we went through our own teenage experience. When that happens, sometimes our kids don't just go through a time of separation. Sometimes they go through a time of opposition where they become defiant as a way to say, no, I need separation. So just know the more that we can permit their space and respect their space and their boundaries, the less of that like rebellion and defiance that we're going to experience. Now, this doesn't mean that conflict isn't going to arise. Conflict is going to arise no matter how much like personal space and personal boundaries we allow our kids. Because remember, First, our kids are exploring personal identity and values and desires and boundaries. They have not mastered them yet, which means the road is not always going to be smooth. Our kids sometimes don't know who they are or what they want, and so that can get a little tricky. Sometimes they don't know what they're feeling, and this is partly because they're still learning emotional intelligence. This is also partly because they're hormones are going haywire inside of their bodies. And so they're having mood swings that are brought on by hormones. You guys remember what it was like to be a teen. Like one day you're feeling on top of the world. And sometimes like just a few seconds later, like everything feels like it's falling apart. Like it is a crazy mess inside of our teens' bodies because their hormones are all over their place. They're growing at the rate 
that they grew whenever they were infants. That's the reason your kids are sleeping so much and eating so much. Like they are growing so much. So many changes are happening all at once, physical, mental, emotional, hormonal. Like there are so many things happening, new things happening, like the onslaught of a sex drive and suddenly they're attracted to people and they're trying to like navigate all of that is a lot, y'all. And they are in school in peer groups with a whole bunch of other people that feel crazy and confused like that. It is super confusing. It's a lot on their plates. So conflict is going to arise simply from the overwhelming fact that your kids are trying to figure all of this out and it's happening all at once. And we can have compassion for that. Like it's hard to be a teen. It's super hard to be a teenager. And I also want you to remember that conflict is a natural part of normal, healthy relationships between two independent people. And our teens are becoming independent. So we get curious about what's going on for them so we can better understand. And then we listen actively until our teen feels understood and we make the most generous assumptions possible. I find it's really helpful for me to remind myself that my kids are going through all kinds of hormonal changes. They're still learning that I can't expect them to be fully adult yet. Like just going into conflict conversations with like they're doing their best with what they have allows me to be so much more patient. So we come with our most generous assumptions and we get curious about what's going on and we actively listen to understand. We want to understand our kids. And at this point, After they feel understood, because that's what we're checking in with, like we're allowing them to tell us how they feel and how they're experiencing things. And we might have to like set some boundaries sometimes like, hey, like I'm a human too and I have feelings. I need you to tell me as clearly as you can, but I also need you to be kind because I have feelings and they can get hurt. So like, let's work together. I would rather you tell me, like, this is something I say to my kids. I'm like, I would rather you tell me imperfectly in a way that hurts my feelings over not tell me. But if there's a way for you to tell me in a way that is kind, I would prefer that over a way that's not kind. But overall, I would rather you just tell me. If you can't do it kindly, like, we'll work through that later, but I would rather you just tell me. So. You can set your own boundaries. That's what works for me. That doesn't have to be what works for you. But I would rather know what my kids are feeling and experiencing. And if it has to come out rough, like I can deal with my feelings later. I have a therapist husband. I can talk with him. I can talk to my actual therapist. I can deal with rough feelings. I can deal with things coming out imperfectly. We can talk through that. But I need to know what's going on so that we can work together. So You can set boundaries with your kids too, but we want them to feel heard and understood. And so anytime I go into conversations with my kids, I remind myself that I'm the adult, that I've had more time and more practice with my emotions. And my job primarily is to hold space for them to feel safe to share their emotions first. This is not, we're not on equal footing here. They're still learning. I'm still learning too. Let's be honest, because high demand religion kind of took away some time for that emotional intelligence. I'm still learning too, but I have many more resources than they have. 
I have a therapist. I have, you know, a husband that is there to support me. Lots of friends that are there to support me. You guys, like there's a whole bunch of people in the weekly call. We all support each other. They have a bunch of other teenagers going through hormonal changes themselves who maybe don't have the tools for emotional intelligence yet and are still learning too. We're not on equal footing. My job is to hear and understand them first. And so whatever I need to say, it comes, it comes last. I want them to feel heard and understood first. And I check in to make sure that they feel that way. Not that I think that they are heard and understood. I say, do you feel like you got to say everything you needed to say? Do you feel like I understand what you're trying to say? And if they say no, I'm like, okay, what do you feel like I don't understand? I am here to listen until you feel understood. I want to make sure that you feel like I really get it. And we talk until they feel understood. And then, and only at that point, I ask if I can share my side of the story and my feelings so that we can better understand each other so we can find a solution that works for us both. If you have kids that don't often want to hear your side, it's often because as the parent, we are talking first and listening last, and we need to switch that around. We listen first. When they feel understood, they are so much more likely to be willing to listen and give us space to talk. So remember, they're still learning. They're in training. They don't have as many resources as we have. And even if we're still learning and this is new for us, we have more resources. So we listen first. We really make sure that they feel understood. And then at that point, we ask if they're willing to listen to us and to understand us, where we're coming from. And again, at this point, we're not, we're not judging them. We're not lecturing them. We are getting vulnerable and sharing what it feels like to be in our skin. We're not the authority. We don't have all the answers. We're just describing how whatever's going on makes us feel and what we need to feel safe. And then from there, we understand what their needs are. They understand what our needs are. And we look for solutions that are a win-win for both of us. We're not looking for a winner-loser situation. We're looking for a way to meet in the middle. Now, I know there are many of you that are conflict avoidant because in your experience as a kid or even in your adult relationships, conflict destroyed relationships. And I want you to know that constructive conflict with your teen, when it's handled in that way I just talked about, it can actually help your kid feel closer to you and safer and more likely to share in the future. When you're willing to calmly address problems hear their side of the issue until they feel fully seen and understood instead of shut down and judged like so many teens have told me they feel. When you're willing to vulnerably share your feelings and your needs as a human being, a fellow human being, and allow your kid to see underneath the parent figure, right, into the human heart, And then we offer to work together to find a solution that we're both comfortable with. Your kid learns that they are safe to be human with you. You aren't going to run away and hide or just give up when things get difficult. 
and they've learned that you're a safe person to talk about issues with, they've learned that you deeply care about them, their experience, and their feelings. And they've learned that they deeply matter to you and that you're willing to problem solve in a way that is good for both of you. Now, what happens is we rebel and we become defiant when we believe the person in authority or the people in authority that they don't care about our experience and they won't willingly share power with us. This is true. If you look through history, this is true of every riot and coup that has ever happened in political history. It was true for us when we left high demand religious communities. Think about it. When I left, my high demand religion, I went an entire year wearing booty shorts and spaghetti strap tank tops. There was a part of me that needed to rebel against these inner dialogues I had that I was a slut if I dressed like that, that women were not worthy of love and respect if they dressed like that. I could hear these voices in my head and I wore what made me feel naked in order to show myself that I was still human, I was worthy of love and respect. I mean, we're talking dead of winter. I'm wearing a hoodie and booty shorts. In my late 30s, with all my cellulite and my mom bod, and I did it to show myself like, A, I can wear things no matter what my body looks like if I want to. Nobody gets to make that decision for me. B, that I was still worthy of love and respect. I was still a smart, intelligent human regardless of what I was wearing. And I deserve to be treated like a smart, intelligent human with important things to say. And so I rebelled and I became defiant because I needed to push back against that authority that made me feel so powerless. So we do this When we leave high demand religious communities, we push back against that inner authority, that indoctrination, that shame and that fear that we're not worthy, that we can't trust ourselves. And I will tell you right now that if we have a teen that is rebellious and defiant, it's because they feel powerless and they feel like the person in authority doesn't really care about their experience. So if that's happening with your teen, address that first. Like, hey, I'm wondering if, don't assume, get curious, right? I'm wondering if you feel like I don't care about your experience or I'm not willing to hear what it's like to be you. Is that true? I'm wondering if you feel like you don't have enough power in your life. Does it feel like we're controlling you? Does it feel like we're forcing you to fit into a lifestyle or a box that doesn't feel comfortable for you? Can you tell me about that? I promise I'll listen and I won't judge. I just want to understand better because I can't do better unless I understand better. We recognize when our kids are becoming rebellious and defiant and we recognize Oh, that happens when any human, not just our kids, when any human feels like they're powerless and they're being forced to do things that feel out of alignment and that the people in power don't care about their experience. On the other hand, however, when our kids understand that we deeply care about their experience and we want to understand, not judge, 
And when they realize they have the power to work with us to change their circumstances in their favor, they really don't have a reason to rebel anymore. They learn they can simply assess what isn't working for them. They can bring their complaints to us. And that will work with them to create a change that works for us both. And the skill set doesn't just benefit them in our parent-child relationship. It benefits them in their future romantic partnerships. And honestly, it protects them to a certain extent from emotionally immature partners. It protects them against narcissistic traits and people who want to manipulate or control them. It protects them in their friendships. And it helps them have better work relationships. I mean, think about it. Those who can successfully navigate conflict, they're better able to reach across tables to create cooperation, to increase innovation and productivity, and they're even better at negotiating their own promotions and pay. Every time you engage with your kids in constructive conflict, where you're modeling for them, I'm here to listen and understand you, And then I would like to be heard and understood myself. And then from there, when we have all of those facts on the table and we both fully understand one another, we can start to create a solution that works for us both. I mean, I'm just thinking about what this would do for our politics, right? In our country here in the United States, what would this do for our politics if we had politicians who were raised with this kind of constructive conflict resolution skills? If we had people who could reach across the aisle and say, let me hear you and understand you. I'm making assumptions about what I think you want. And I think I don't really understand what you really want. Help me understand what you're afraid of. Help me understand what keeps you up at night. Help me understand what you really want to accomplish and change. What are your values? What do you deeply value? I think we would find that if both sides could do this, we would actually be able to innovate new solutions that would be a win-win for both sides of the political aisle. But until we can do this, we end up with rebellion, we end up with defiance, we end up with all kinds of misunderstandings because we don't know how to have constructive conflict. All we know how to do is cancel one another. All we know how to do is make assumptions, very ungenerous assumptions, and cancel one another for not being just like us. And no one is just like us. Because remember, all of us are unique individuals. And if we're going to have relationships with one another, where we're all allowed to be unique individuals with our own unique set of values and our own unique way of seeing the world, we're going to have conflict. And if we don't know how to do that, We can't have deep, meaningful relationships. And once our kids feel safe being a separate human being with separate thoughts and opinions and needs and even values from us, then we actually have created that stage where we can support them in the exploration process that's necessary to discover their adult identity. Now, from my perspective, there are actually many different things we can do to support our kids as they explore their adult identity. But today I want to talk about two of them. And the first one is to treat your teen as the expert in their own lives. We've talked a lot about how we're the authority in our own lives after leaving high demand religion. 
And I think most of us are like, yeah, I'm the authority in my own life. But I do think that sometimes some of those high demand religious principles come with us. And we totally accept that we're the authority in our own lives. But sometimes we forget that at a certain point, we are handing more and more authority to our kids to become the authority in their lives. And the teen years are the years where we're really handing that over to them. And this is because your teen is the only person that is privy to their innermost thoughts and feelings and desires and needs and beliefs and values. They are the expert in their lives because they're the only one with access to that information. You can guess at the information. You can read their body language, but that is still filtered through your bias and your experience. You're never going to get 100% unfiltered access to what's going on inside of your kid. So yeah, we've known them their whole lives, but we don't know them better than they know themselves. We've only guessed at what's going on inside of them. We've created stories in our heads about what they must be feeling or experiencing when they weren't capable of verbalizing their experience in early childhood. But sometimes we projected what we would be feeling and experiencing. Sometimes we guessed wrong and we don't actually know what it's like to live in their skin and be who they are. And we'll never fully know what it's like to be them. Therefore, the only person capable of gathering that information and guiding their lives is them. One of the greatest supports we can give our teens during the normal identity discovery process of adolescence is to let them know how capable we believe they are at learning to hear their own inner selves, understanding what they feel and want and need, and then communicating that to others where they can make those changes happen. Your teen might not feel capable at first. Maybe they're just beginning to listen to themselves and try to make sense of what they're feeling and experiencing. And maybe they're just beginning to feel brave enough to give voice to those things. But here's how you can help. First, we can help our teens recognize and label their emotions. Emotions are our body's cues about how we're experiencing the world around us. The more in touch with those cues we are, the better we're able to understand ourselves and communicate that understanding to others. And if you're thinking to yourself, like, I don't even know what I'm feeling. How will I help my kid understand what they're feeling? Please go back and listen to episode three, because you're right. If you can't label your own emotions, you're going to have a really difficult time helping your teen label theirs. And without the ability to identify your emotions and understand what they're telling you, there's no way you're going to be able to communicate that to others clearly. I also highly recommend seeking support from an emotionally focused therapist if identifying and working through emotions is difficult for you or your teen. Knowing what you're feeling and why is perhaps the most useful tool in building a solid sense of personal identity. And if you can't afford a therapist, Get on YouTube. We live in such an amazing day and age where you can pretty much YouTube or podcast anything, right? So get on YouTube, look up Emotionally Focused Therapy, EFT, and see what shows up. I know there are several shows because I've watched several of them, but look for Emotionally Focused Therapy and then look through all of the topics. See if there's something there that can help you. 
Do the introspection that's necessary. Do journaling exercises if they recommend those. Do the art therapy exercises if they recommend those. Have conversations with other trusted adults. Do whatever you need to do to help yourself be able to identify your emotions because it'll help you be able to help your kids identify theirs. And the more emotionally intelligent the two of you become together, the better your relationship is going to get with one another and not just with one another, the better your relationship is going to get with everyone, even other people in your life who are not emotionally intelligent. I can't tell you how many times as I've worked on my own emotional intelligence, I've been able to hold space for somebody who was not given those same tools and to be able to like walk them through the process of figuring out what they're feeling. Please do the work. It will be so beneficial to your relationship with your kid as well as other people in your life. Now, let's go back to parenting our teens. So let's say your kid comes home from school sulky and silent. How do you support your teen to be the authority in their own life? So maybe they, as they get in the car and they're like huffing and puffing, or maybe they've got a sour look on their face, you might say, hey, you don't seem like you're okay. You look kind of like sad or angry or disappointed. Whatever it is that you notice in your in their body language, you can bring that up. Like, look, you look really tense. Or you look like you're ready to punch someone's face in. Do you want to talk about it? Remember, they don't have to talk with you right now or at all. They might want to be alone in process. They might want to talk it out with a friend. That might feel less threatening. And all of that is okay. We don't have to be their confidant. But we do need to let them know that we're there if they want us and need us. If they do want to talk, remember your priority is to actively listen to their experience and feelings without judgment. Validate what they're feeling, ask curiosity questions to better understand what happened and why they feel the way they do. Get curious and listen to better understand, not to go into fix it mode or to give advice or lectures but get curious and listen to understand. And this will help your team better understand themselves and learn to ask themselves these questions and validate their own emotions in the future. If you find yourself wanting to correct them or fix the problem yourself, or if you find yourself uncomfortable with the emotions they're sharing, after the conversation, please get curious with yourself about what was coming up for you and allow yourself time to process that thing either alone with a trusted adult, or with a therapist. The more emotional work you can do with yourself, the better you'll be able to tolerate your teen's uncomfortable emotions and experiences while they work through them. Now, that's best case scenario, right? Like, hey, you look really upset. You want to talk about it? They're like, yeah. However, maybe they look at you like you're crazy and they're like, no, I do not want to talk with you about it. Or maybe they pretend like they didn't hear you. Maybe they look out the window inside. Maybe they ignore you altogether. And in this instance, you could say something like, hey, I understand needing time to process. I do that too. So you don't have to talk right now or ever about this. But if you decide you want to, I'm here to listen and let you get whatever it is off your chest. Zero judgment, just listening. And this might make them feel comfortable opening up or it might be like, yeah, right. Zero judgment. And then you get to have a conversation about what they mean about that and get curious about that. Will it be painful to hear? Yes. If you have some latent shame about your worthiness as a person 
or if you have messages that you have to be perfect in order to be worthy and lovable, this is a great time to recognize that as well. It's hard to hear about things that you've done wrong or ways that people perceive you that are not always, you know, golden. This is a great time to like, you know, work through that with yourself. And I find that most of us do need some support to work through shame. Shame is one of those things that if we keep it to ourselves, if we just try to work with it with ourselves, it can grow because shame needs three things to grow. It needs secrecy, silence, and judgment. And if we're keeping it to ourselves, guess what? We're keeping it secret. Even if we're exploring it with ourselves, it can help to bring it up to our consciousness like, oh, I'm feeling shame. But there is something magical about having a trusted friend, therapist, other adult that we can say, look, I feel some serious shame about this. I have a belief in my head that if I'm not perfect, I'm not worthy of love. Or that if I do something wrong, people will leave me. There is something huge about admitting that to another human being, having them receive that with empathy, and then letting you know that your mistake, your imperfections, they don't make you less lovable. They make you who you are. And who you are is amazing and wonderful and lovable and unique. There's no one else like you on the whole planet. And that's pretty wonderful. You're irreplaceable. You're not perfect. But if you were perfect, you wouldn't be you. So if your teen says, you're not going to listen to me without judgment. Are you crazy? I'm not going to tell you things. You can get curious about that and say, it sounds like you feel unsafe with me. And perhaps that's valid. Do you want to tell me about that? Is there something I've done that makes you feel like I'm going to judge you? Can we talk about it? Because I want to do better. I want to see you. I want to understand you. I want to validate you. And if I've done something wrong in the past, I want to know about it so that I can do better. And then last, we encourage our kids to try things on during this stage. During the teen years, your kids will literally try on many different identities. They might dress in several different ways. They might dye or cut their hair. They might experiment with different hobbies or interests and even try on different friend groups. And this is all fantastic. Each time they try something new, it's a chance for them to weigh in about how it makes them feel. Some of the choices they make will feel really good and some won't feel like as great of a fit. And all of that is useful information to help them shape their picture of who they are and who they are not. You might even see your kids switch identities and behaviors depending on which group of people they're with. Maybe they act differently with you versus their friend group versus their grandparents versus their teachers. Or if they're part of lots of different groups, like I was in high school, like I was in auto mechanics and choir and band and cheerleading and debate. I was in all of these different spaces. I was slightly different with the band and choir kids than I was with the auto mechanic kids. I was slightly different with the auto mechanic kids than I was with the jocks and the cheerleaders. And so be aware that your kids are trying on 
different facets of who they think they are and who they think they might want to be. And this isn't because they're being inauthentic. They just might not know exactly who they are and who they want to be yet. And they're figuring out what authenticity means to them. In some ways, it's like they're playing, you know, dress up with different identities and behavior patterns to see what they like and what they don't. In my episode, I think it's episode two, it's the very first episode about reclaiming your identity. I talk about like an epiphany I had after I left high demand religion that reclaiming my identity was like going to a shoe store and trying on different pairs of shoes and walking around in them and recognizing that just because I tried on a pair of shoes didn't mean I had to buy them. It's not like the moment I tried on you know, the shoe of wearing my booty shorts, right? That I had to be a person that wore booty shorts for the rest of my life. Or, you know, I tried on this like really angry, aggressive person when I left high demand religion. I was super outspoken. I went from this quiet, people-pleasing, always happy, sunshiny, optimistic person to sort of like a dragon breathing fire for a good six months, maybe closer to a year. I was dangerous and outspoken and loud and vocal. And I practiced using my voice and saying what I thought. And it was unrefined and it was ugly and it was scary to a lot of the people that had known me before and was off-putting. And yet I needed to try on that shoe and walk around in it for a bit. I needed to see how it felt to use my voice, how to oppose other people's authority and expectations. I needed to know what it felt like to say, "Uh -uh, these are my boundaries. Do not cross. I needed to know what it felt like to be a fire-breathing dragon for a little bit. I needed people to know that there was a fire-breathing dragon inside of me if they crossed me, that I wasn't just cute and cuddly, that if you crossed me, there was something really scary in there that would protect me. I needed to try on that shoe. And so your kids may need to try on certain shoes too to figure out who they are and what they like and what they don't like and which shoes fit. I figured out that I really enjoyed using my voice and I really liked saying what I meant, but I really didn't like the way I was doing it. I didn't like scaring people. I didn't like making people feel unsafe with me. I didn't like feeling like I needed to dominate a room because I did that for a little while. Like, everyone will listen to me. I have something to say. Shut up. So all of this rage that I had, like, built up over decades just kind of came out. And I was like, so I became this, like, fire-breathing dragon. And I decided the dragon had some really important things to say. The dragon, her feelings were valid. They made sense. The things she wanted to see changed, absolutely needed to be changed. And there was a part of my old identity I wanted to keep, which was very, I'm a very diplomatic person most of the time. I find that I'm very capable of listening to other people, really seeing their perspective. And now instead of just taking their perspective and running with it and keeping mine silent, I now I'm able to share my perspective and I'm able to do it in a very clear, kind and firm way that is like, this is me. This is what I think and feel, but I can see how you would think and feel that way. 
And we're able, again, to use those constructive conflict skills that I've built up over time to meet in the middle and find ways where we can like problem solve in a way that's a win-win for both of us. But I would not have gotten there had I not experimented with this pair of shoes of being the fire-breathing dragon if I hadn't tried on that costume for a while. So our kids may try on several different identities. And some of them, we may feel like really aligned with who we think our kid is. And some of them may be like far out there. I know my mother was probably like, who is this person? I raised the most easygoing, happy-go-lucky girl who just like loved life and savored it. Why is she so angry and outspoken and loud now? I know that was hard for her. And yet, and yet, my mom would be one of the first people to tell you that who I am now, the person who has embraced that dragon and validates that dragon and like listens to that dragon whenever that dragon feels like it's been stepped on and is hurt and feels upset or like somebody has done something unjust or unkind. Like I listen when that dragon comes up, I'm like, oh, hey, babe. They pissed you off, didn't they? All right, tell me all about it. And I listen and I validate that part of myself. And I ask, like, what do you want to see change? What was not okay about that? What do I need to take care of for you? And I integrate the dragon into my personality. And my mom will be the first person to tell you I am much kinder now because I don't feel resentful about people taking advantage of me. I am much more empathic because I empathize with my own emotions, which allows me to be more present, to empathize with other people. And because I'm much more comfortable with my dragon, I can sit with other people and their dragons. So your kids may try on some identities that you don't like very much, that feel scary. But when they're playing dress up with different identities and behavior patterns, remember just because they try it on doesn't mean that they have to buy the shoe, let them walk around in it for a bit. Get curious with them about how it feels to wear that shoe. Get curious with them about how it's serving them. What feels good about it? What do they like about it? Are there some things about it they don't like? For me, I love the empowerment. I love getting to use my voice finally. I love making changes. I loved letting people know where my boundaries were and what was okay and what wasn't okay. I love that people didn't walk all over me anymore. But I didn't love how scared people were of me. And I didn't love that people felt unsafe and they felt like they couldn't share their stories with me anymore. So let them walk around in the shoe, ask questions, help them check in with themselves. If we can remain open and curious, and if we can have the teen check back in with themselves and their own values they're going to be able to tell you what feels good about this identity they're trying on and what maybe doesn't fit as well. And giving them a place to voice those things, to get curious about those things, it's going to help them refine their identity and figure out which pairs of shoes they're going to buy and which ones they're just going to walk around in for a little bit and leave on the shelf. Our job isn't to guide them into being who we want them to be, or who we think they should be, or who makes us look the best. Our job is to help them check in with themselves to see how they feel 
about exploring their different interests and their various decisions. And like I said, they might try on interests and hobbies and friendships or even dating relationships. Heaven forbid, we haven't gotten there yet. But they may even try on dating relationships that we don't think are the right fit for them. But they need to make that discovery for themselves. If we can remain a safe place to explore feelings about those things without judgment, if we can be a mirror for them to look through, they're going to feel so much more clear about what is a good fit for them and what isn't. Learning how to decipher these feelings and explore them now while they're safe under your care sets them up for success in life. And one of the ways we become a mirror to our kids is by asking open-ended questions and then paraphrasing back what we heard and what we understood. Now, for those of you who don't know, open-ended questions sound like, let's say your kid has a friend that they're spending a ton of time with, right? So you might say, you know, you seem to hang out with this friend all the time. What do you like most about him or her? And then again, you listen and ask curiosity questions until you feel like you really get it. And you're going to know you really get it because your kid is going to be like nodding along with you. They're going to give you all kinds of body cues of, yeah, you get it. You understand me. And if you don't get it, they're going to let you know. They're going to be like, no, not quite. That's not what I meant. And they're going to correct you. And that's okay. Again, if shame comes up, it's not okay for you to be wrong. It's not okay for you to make mistakes. You might feel a spike of shame. You might feel a spike of, you know, insecurity or guilt or something. Get curious about that with another adult. That is not your kid's job to figure that out for you. That's something for you to notice. And then if you need to, like, talk it out with another adult. And remember, it's really healthy to talk it out with another trusted adult who will hear you with empathy and without judgment. And then mirror back to you your best self. And validate that you're a good person and that good people make mistakes. Good people don't always get it right. In fact, all people don't always get it right. It is human to make mistakes. But you might ask them things like, what makes you feel comfortable around this person? What things tell you that this friend is a safe person in your life? What lets you know that they have your back? Like really ask them questions. This isn't just about you understanding them. This is about asking them questions for them to understand them. That is the whole purpose. We want to ask our kids questions when they're feeling willing to have a conversation, right? Because they're not always going to feel willing to have a conversation. That's part of that separation. But when they're willing to have a conversation, which remember, driving is your friend, doing chores together, your friend, doing other tasks together, your friend. Because when you're focused on something else, it's a little less scary to look eye to eye and have these kind of conversations. And if they're willing to talk, Ask them curiosity questions. Help them see themselves better. And you get to know them better too. It's really cool when they find, like when they let you in and you get to know them and like what makes them tick. It is the coolest thing in the world. It's like unwrapping a gift. And you can do this too if they're struggling with a friend. If they're really having some conflict with a friend, you could ask them questions like, what do you feel like is the biggest cause of conflict in your relationship with this person right now? And ask clarifying questions and paraphrase back to them what they're telling you. You can even, you know, in in the right context, you don't want to like project feelings on them, but you might want to guess what they might be feeling like, oh, if I were in your shoes, 
I might be feeling this. Is that what you're feeling? Or my guess is that you feel like this. Is that is that accurate? Is that true? Instead of, oh, I bet you feel like this and then just cutting it off, like guessing and then checking in with them. Is that accurate? That gives them a chance to reflect on, is that what I'm feeling? Is that what this feeling in my body is? And be open to being totally wrong. This is going to help them discover their own emotions and their own answers for themselves. And if you feel like you have advice that you'd like to give or an opinion you'd like to give, ask for their consent first. Because remember, they are their own authority. They're allowed to have boundaries. They're allowed to have personal space. So you would ask something like, you know, would you like my opinion about this? Or I think I might have a piece of advice. Would you like to hear it? And if they say yes, go ahead and share your opinion in a way that remains out of judgment. You do not want to talk about how stupid or blind you think this friend is. You don't want to go on and on about how awful this person is. Because if you go into judgment about their friend, guess what you're also telling them? That you're judging them too. When we do the judgments about other people, we're telling our kids that they're not safe, that they're being judged. So you stay out of judgment. You just stick with the facts. You might say something like, you know, it seems like this friend has canceled on you a lot last minute over the past few months, and that seems to frustrate you. Or I'm wondering if you feel like you're being taken for granted, or if you feel like maybe this person doesn't respect you in your time the way you respect theirs. You're giving observations about what you're seeing, but you're not making judgments. And then if they ask for like problem solving, brainstorm with them, don't give them answers. Don't be like, this is what you should do. You could say, well, there's lots of things to do. I mean, you could do this or this. What do you think you should do? What are some ideas you have? And brainstorm. And again, I think we talked about this in the last episode. Encourage silly and stupid answers when you're brainstorming solutions to problems because it gets the creative juices going. Bring in the aliens, bring in cartoon characters, bring in wishful thinking and magic. Whatever is on the table, put any and all ideas out there. It's going to allow them to loosen up, get creative, and come up with some solutions that will be pretty impressive for the problems that they're facing. And if they say no to you sharing your observations and opinion, respect their boundary and don't share. Don't even hint at sharing. In the long run, this will build trust between you and them. They know that you won't share your opinion or advice unless they want you to, and they'll likely want you to more often because they know you respect and trust them as a person. Now, I'm looking at the clock, and I feel like we've been going for a while, and there are so many things to cover about parenting teens, but I feel like we've covered a lot for today already. So next week, we'll get into how to help our teens discover and live by their own set of values. Today, however, I just wish you the peace and the joy that comes from allowing our kids to unfold into who they really are, learning alongside them instead of feeling like we have to have all the answers for them. It really is a much less stressful way to parent than what we were doing in high demand religion. I'd love to talk more about all of this with you on the live discussion call this Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Remember, if you want to join, the information on how to join the call is in the show notes. And I thank you for joining me today. And I'll see all of you next Sunday.